one stop candle. <laughs> Would you stand with us as Shirley reads the word of the Lord? We're reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who, wa are, who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the reading on the word. You may be seated. Good morning. Redemption family, glad to be with you this Christmas season. My name is Marcus, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you for turning me down just a little bit. Appreciate it. Um, grateful to be here this, this season. I'm going to open up in a word of prayer, and we will uh, dive into the word as Ms. Shirley so uh, gracefully read just now uh, from Luke chapter 1, verse 73 to 79. Let me pray for you as we enter into this time. Dear Father, we are grateful that you are in our midst. Lord, uh, folks didn't come to hear from me specifically, but hear from your word, O oh God. Would you use me just as an instrument uh, this morning to impart a word for someone to hear, a word of encouragement, perhaps a word of challenge. We thank you through all these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Now, you know, uh, it's been a while. This is my first time, obviously, preaching in this place. And you know that I am more dialogical, so an amen will be appreciated. Mm -hmm, it's also good. I'm somewhere between a Pentecostal and a Presbyterian, where I think where we all are. Amen? James chapter 3, verse 1. Always, I always like to make sure I say that. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, we should not all strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly. So what I'm going to do in the next 20 or so minutes, I will be judged more harshly for when I die and face God. That's the seriousness with which I take the word of God and the seriousness of which I take the study and the, 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 the listening of, of the Holy Spirit. This morning is a simple and practical word this morning for someone in here uh, this season of Advent. I'm hoping that someone will receive a word from the Lord through what I'm going to say. Advent, as you know, is a season, and it's just before Christmas, right? A week before Christmas is where we are in the, the calendar. It's a season of expectation. So it's in, that, it's in that vein that I've titled this sermon, God's Glorious Workshop. 
God's Glorious Workshop. This is a season of expectation. This is my favorite time of year. Um, you drive through most neighborhoods in the States, and at, at least one house will have some lights out at night, right? Multiple houses will have lights out because it's Christmas. There's Christmas lights. The downtown area of most cities will be lit up. The feeling of anticipation. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are expecting something in this season. It's safe to say that we are expecting a gift of some kind. If you let Lexus tell it, you're expecting the red bow on top of that car. Nobody's seen that commercial? Every year, right? Well, some of us are expecting a box underneath the tree, shaped like what we want it to be. Some of you may be now going into nostalgia, at least I would, in Africa. Um, I didn't believe in Santa Claus for obvious reasons. We don't have chimneys where I live. There were no <laughs> snow. And so we just put the gifts underneath the tree, right? I'm having a little nostalgic moment. The box is shaped as what you think, oh, man, that's going to be what I want. That's going to be the car that I want. That's going to be the toy that I want. Some say the season is expectation, but also some people will say, it can't be a season of disappointment. What are you looking forward to this season? What are you expecting in this time? What are you expecting? John C. Maxwell, you know, is an author and a leadership expert, says this. He says, disappointment is the gap that exists between expectation and reality. Disappointment is the gap that exists between expectation and reality. On Christmas morning, at some point, maybe it's like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, at some point, you open all the gifts, and, and for me as a kid, I, I played with everything. It's like, oh, that's it, right? Or you didn't get the batteries for the toy, which is, oh, man, so disappointing. It's like, this thing is going to work if we had the batteries, right? You dropped hints, maybe, and all the boxes get open, and it's not what you wanted. Maybe you got a sweater, or you got a tie. No offense to anyone who gives those things. Something you didn't want, something you wanted didn't happen. Someone you wanted to see is not there. Maybe you got a gift card. But you're grateful, but you're in the gap where expectation doesn't meet reality. Anybody can identify with that. In the context of this prophecy that Zechariah is giving, let me give you a little bit of a background. Zechariah is a priest. Um, he is married to a lady named Elizabeth, and they are expecting a child. And he is doing his priestly duties at one point in Luke 1 because they did shifts back then as a priest. So only one priest on his shift would walk into the temple and, and, and light the incense to commemorate, a, a, to commemorate a, a religious gathering. Zechariah walks into the temple, lights the incense, and it's only a couple minutes or a few. He shouldn't be in there that long. But Zechariah gets stuck in there. He's not coming out. What Zechariah is seeing in the, in, in, in the temple by himself, he sees an angel. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid. Right? Do not be afraid. Your son that is coming, right? You're gonna become, your wife is going to become pregnant, and the son that is coming is actually a special son. He's a son that we as a people have been anticipating for 400 years. The Israelites are waiting for the Messiah. They are waiting for the Savior. And they've been waiting for 400 years. Waiting and hoping. 
They've been in exile. They're back home. They're unprotected, and they're waiting for a Messiah, a Savior. And every year, nothing. Every year, the reality of their situation does not match the expectation. Zachariah's whole hum day that he's doing his duties walks into the, into the, into the, in the altar, into, into the presence of the Lord, and he sees this. He sees an angel. An angel does something to him that probably should do to all men. He shuts his mouth for months. He can't talk. When he opens his mouth after a few months, he starts prophesying. If you're new to church, a prophecy is a divine prediction. A prophecy is a word that has been given to somebody from God for the world or for someone specifically. He's a priest. He's not a prophet. So priests don't prophesy. But he's prophesying. He walks out, and this is what, as Shirley just read, this is what uh, he says. The prophecy, however... When someone prophesies, they usually say it in the future tense. If you read this text, it's already in the past tense. This should tell you something about God and his timelessness. Before we even get into the prophecy itself. God is seeing things that have already happened in his world, and he's given a prophecy to somebody to say, this will happen in your world, but it's already happened for me. Our expectation the people's expectation are going to be met. The Messiah is coming. The anticipation is, is, is going to hit a point where it actually becomes reality. So Zechariah walks out and he's telling his friends, the fellow priests and whoever, is, whoever will listen to him. He starts telling them. Verse 76 says this, and as the worlds are coming out of his mouth, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. They were looking for a Messiah, and Zechariah's mouth had been shut for months, and now he's standing in front of them, telling them a prophecy. Um, and the prophecy really isn't matching what they're expecting. Right? He says, my son, <laughs> my son is going to be somebody. <laughs> In other words, my son that my wife is going to give birth to, I'm telling you, this boy is going to be somebody. That's not what they're looking for, right? You, you, you've been, your mouth has been shut for months, now you're coming out telling me your son's going to be somebody, right? And he doesn't give a timeline. He said, my son is going to prepare the way for the Lord. So you're not saying your son is the Lord that we're waiting for, but he's going to prepare the way for someone else. So there's still more waiting. Our expectations is going to be, it's going to be further along. No timeline. He don't say he, the Lord will be here next week. Oh, my son is 30. He just says he's preparing a way for the son, the Lord to come. God's plans come through in so many unexpected ways but it comes through obedient people. His plan for salvation is there in this prophecy. What the people cannot see is that their expectation is not matching what God has for them. You follow? Their expectation is not matching what God has in reality. 
God's plan for act, God's plan for salvation is actually an act of mercy for us. God is merciful. We never get what we deserve or expect. The Bible, the entire Bible, is one story after another, but it's almost the same story repeated time and time again through different people. It's about expectation and reality. God visiting us and coming to, to his people and using somebody to show. If you don't, if you want to follow me, I want you to follow me through the Bible really quickly. It happens so often. Think about it. Look at Noah. One man, imperfect. God says build a boat in the middle of a desert where it's never rained. The expectation does not meet the reality. God looks at Moses. Moses is a murderer. And he said, you're going to be the one that is going to go back to the people who know you're a murderer to save them. That's not what they're expecting. King David, the youngest of his brothers, the Israelites are waiting for someone to be their champion. Goliath is out there talking trash. And God says, go find that boy in the bush and bring him. It's never the way we expect. We expect one thing, but God gives us more. Not another thing. He gives us more. What are you looking forward to this season? Are you waiting for something underneath the tree? Or are you waiting for something more? Where do your expectations lie? See, our expectations can turn into disappointment when it seems like it's still more of the same. Christmas year in and year out is still more of the same. We're waiting when you listen to sermons, sometimes you're like, man, I've heard this before. More waiting. Meanwhile, my life is a mess. My kid is sick. My parent is sick. Or can I get on somebody's couch right now? I'm not married yet. If you don't understand the phrase, let me get up, let me get up. Can I get on your couch? Is an expression that I use when I'm gonna say something that might offend. I'm going to take my feet and put it on your metaphorical couch so that you can understand that I'm in your house and I'm here to stay. I'm going to be all up in your fridge. <laughs> when your personal goals are not met, you've hit what the millennials call the quarter life crisis. Your expectation doesn't meet the reality. It hits somebody. Maybe you're not climbing a social ladder or the financial ladder. Maybe you set a goal. Some of my friends set goals of $100,000 a year by the time they're 30 or $100,000 a year I want to be making by the time I'm 40. And maybe you're 42 and you're not there. The Israelites were waiting for a king. They're waiting with expectation. Somebody's going to save us. Somebody's going to be here to protect us. And then Zechariah is giving them a speech when he's been... He's been shut for a few months, and we're expecting something great. And then he comes out with, my son is going to be somebody. The gap between the expectation we have and reality is often disappointment. Some of us are living in disappointment this season. The gap between expectation and reality for believers, sadly, is still disappointment with God. Because... The God we want is not the God who is. 
Everybody hear me. Sometimes the God we want is not the God who is. Here's our reality. Our expectations of God and what he can do for us does not always match God's ontology. Does not always match the nature of God. Right? You think it's unfair at some point that your needs are not being met by God. Who are you to have God meet your needs is the question. I hope I'm on your block, but yeah, I hope I'm in your house right now. The Israelites have been waiting for a Messiah for 400 years. We hear 400 years, so we kind of skip over it. I want you to think of generations of people whose expectations were not met and they died. People died in expectation. They were waiting for a message. They were, perhaps they were waiting for the person. Maybe I will see the Messiah. Maybe I will see the glory of the Lord in my lifetime. Just like they had been waiting for freedom in Egypt for 400 years. Just like they had been waiting for food in the desert. Just like they had been waiting for a king. Just like you and I are waiting. God seems to be moving. But like we say in the hood, he's moving there slow. You don't understand <laughs> the city that I grew up, the, the place that I grew up in. When God's moving slow, you take you take matters into your own hands. The gap of disappointment is often a gap of long suffering. Thank you, Miss Shirley, for sharing this morning. Appreciate it. That that was an incredible blessing for all of us here. Thank you. A story of long suffering. What's the purpose of the gap? between expectation and reality. What's the purpose of long-suffering? Why should we cling to the God who is rather than the God we want? See, there is a purpose for our salvation. There's a purpose for the gap. There's a purpose for long-suffering, and it's a greater purpose. Verse 77 says, the, the purpose, here's the purpose in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. He said, to, let me read that again, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, that's why I'm suffering, so I can have knowledge of salvation? I can get knowledge of salvation from a book. I can get the knowledge of salvation from somewhere else. I'm in long suffering. I need something bad. Here it is. You don't quite understand if you're, if, you're, if you're feeling that way this morning, let me assure you, let me challenge you that you may not understand salvation. The word gets tossed around, oh, I'm saved, are you saved? You may not understand salvation if you're still having trouble understanding long-suffering. See, there's a purpose. God saves us, those who believe in Jesus Christ, he doesn't save us. He saves you from eternal separation from him. That's in the future, right? But he saves you actually to something. We talked about this a few months ago. You're not just saved from something. You're saved to something. You're able to live in peace now, understanding your expectations. You're able to love your neighbor now. 
you understand salvation, you will understand the weight of your sins. You will understand the price that had to be paid for you to be saved. If you understand long-suffering, you will understand that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The payment for living a life of sin is death. And you have been separated from that. That alone occupies the gap and sets you free. For 150 years or so in this country, many African Americans were enslaved. Many became Christians and held on to the hope of freedom. Millions were born and died in slavery. Despite the long night of their captivity, they still trusted in the Lord. Many died with an expectation of freedom that was unfulfilled. A lot of them were born into slavery and they died in slavery. Despite a life of daily torture, some held on to the promise of eternal salvation. Many died without seeing their freedoms. Many died without seeing their expectations met. Many died in the gap of disappointment. They died between the gap of expectation and reality. In that gap, in that gap however, some of them held hope. And some of them wrote the greatest song that we now sing that blesses us today. In their long suffering, those songs continue to bless us today. Still marginalized in every way, they, were, they, were, they, they held on to hope. But most, I'm sure, for most of them, I'm sure, the God they wanted was not the God they experienced. I'm here to tell you this morning that the gap between expectation and reality is not at all disappointment. The gap between expectation and reality is God's glorious workshop. What he has for you, you can only find in that glorious workshop. The gap between expectation and reality is not disappointment, but God's glorious workshop. The gap between our expectation and reality is where God actually works. The gap between what we want and what we have is where God meets us. Presently, we sit in another period of expectation. You and I sit in another period of anticipation. But our mouths, unlike Zechariah, our mouths are open to share the good news. We have the prophecies right here in the Bible. We have the realities of our circumstances. But we also have the promises of God. The Lord shut Zechariah's mouth he has opened ours. We are, he was sure, Zechariah was so sure, because he had heard from an angel. Somebody had told him something. So he wasn't ashamed to go out there and say, my son's going to be somebody. Because he had the confidence of the angel telling him a specific message for him to, to give out. My question to you is, are you that confident in a message that God has given you through the Bible? One person clapped. <laughs> Are you confident in God's word enough to share it? 
are you confident in God's salvation plan that you're able to go out and say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ who died, who, who rose again, and who will come again? Sometimes it feels like we don't. We don't really believe in the gospel. We don't really believe what Jesus said in John 14, that I'm going away to prepare a place for you. We have the word of God sitting on our desks, sitting in our car seats, sitting on our maybe our bedside tables, on our living room tables, and it's there, prophesying, reassuring, encouraging. But we lack the confidence of Zechariah. We lack belief. Verse 79, so here's the reason for our confidence, right? Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in the darkest darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. If you are disappointed and you are constantly having the feeling of 10 a.m. on Christmas morning, if you're disappointed, you're, you're, you're constantly saying, well, here it is. There's no batteries. Just a promise. <laughs> well, here it is. I didn't get what I wanted yet again. There it is. If that's your feeling towards what God has done in your life and is continuing to do in your life, I want to reassure you this morning that... God is faithful. In his glorious workshop, you will find what you need. The gap is God's, glory, is God's glorious workshop. The gap is where God does several things. Let me just name them right now. The gap is where God heals. The gap is where God restores. The gap is where he actually cleans you. The gap is where he replenishes you. The gap is where the mercy and justice of God meets. The gap is where lives are made new. The gap is where addictions are healed. The gap is where marriages are healed. The gap is where we can see clearly the future that God has for us and actually move towards it. The gap is where a disappointment gets absolutely crushed. I'm going to close this morning. I'm sharing a story that I've shared probably a million times in my life, and I'll continue to share this story. My father was killed when I was an 11-year-old. I didn't know he was dead, and I was an orphan. I was living in a refugee camp when I, re when I received the letter that my, I was now an orphan, and my father had been killed. I was 12 years old when I got that letter, and from the age of 12 to the age of 28, I could not forgive the man who made me an orphan. Someone took my, my, my father's life. My expectation was to find that man and do what I wanted to do with him. At some point, I started reading the Bible. And Matthew 6, 14 and 15 came to me and said, if you don't forgive those who do things to you, I will not forgive you. Woo. So I started praying, right? After 20 years, I made the decision to go back and find the man who took my father's life and tell him that I forgave him. My expectation for that meeting, you can imagine. You can imagine how I, was how I was experiencing the way I was. When I bought that ticket and I got on that plane and I was like, I'm going to go face this man, you can imagine the expectation. Woo! I got off that plane. And here is when my expectation met the reality. He was gone. Never to be seen, never to be found. You know what that left me? It could have left me with disappointment. But what I realized was that in that 20 years, 
I was in God's glorious workshop. And he was doing something in my heart. He was doing something that, that the greatest gift I ever got was actually working through the forgiveness of the man who made me an orphan. There's a hymn that we often sing here sometimes. What a friend we have indeed. Just read one line from that hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, if you are in the place of disappointment, you're in God's glorious workshop, go ahead and get on your knees and start praying. This Advent, we live in God's glorious workshop. The gap between our expectation and reality is God's greatest place, God's greatest gift to us. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends that the hope you have in this season, you light the light to, light to brighten the darkness in your neighborhood because you have hope. Right? When you go downtown, you see those lights on the, on the streets, on the trees, it's because they have some kind of hope. That's what we're symbolizing. Despite the dark night of our reality, we have the light of hope. We have hope for a better reality. It is to remember and anticipate, it's to remember and anticipate the second coming of Jesus' son, uh, Jesus Christ. God's son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back, and God is working right now. He is working in every life, in every city around this world. Would you bow your heads? Thank you. Gracious Father, you are merciful, you are powerful. We honor you, O Lord. Lord, may the sense of disappointment evaporate and, and be replaced by your working workshop. Heavenly Father, those who are expecting things this, this season, may switch and expect a person. As we sit in your glorious workshop, May we surrender our lives and say, Lord, can you work on my heart? Can you work on my expectations? Can you work on my wishes? Will you bring me the greatest gift? And may I be able to bring those gifts to others. In Jesus' name, amen.